Talking benefits. 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 Talking. Talking. Talking benefits. You're listening to Talking Benefits, the podcast brought to you by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. Every month, we dive into retirement, health care, hot topics and trends, and whatever else the benefits industry throws at us. I'm Justin Held. I'm Julie Stick. I'm Ann Patterson. Let's talk benefits. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, today, we will be talking about the passage of the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021. Uh, signed into law by President Biden on March 11th, 2021. Uh, Obviously, there are huge implications for all Americans on several levels here, uh, but we wanted to take a deep dive into some of the benefits provisions specifically. uh, After all, we are a benefits podcast. Yes, and specifically, we are going to discuss six ARPA provisions addressing health coverage, pension plan funding, paid leave, and dependent care. But before we get started, I will mention that the foundation has tons and tons of resources on the act, specifically webcasts and blogs. These give foundation members quick analysis of a 242 page law and a rapidly changing landscape in a format that's a bit more digestible. Not sure how many benefits enthusiasts and Jeopardy fans we have out there. But conveniently, there are six ARPA provisions and six categories in a round of Jeopardy. Coincidence, I think not. So we are going to challenge you to join us in ARPA Jeopardy today. And I'm actually going to be calling this Jarpity. What? Okay, that is nerdy and amazing. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, you know, we tried to get Aaron Rodgers to guest host this episode, but he seems to be busy with uh, contract negotiations. So our producer, Rose, will be hosting Derpity. Welcome, Rose. Thank you, Julie. And welcome, everyone. It's been a lifelong dream of mine to host Derpity, so I hope I do you proud today. Welcome to our contestants, Julie, Anne, and Justin. Let's have a great game. And now the Jarpity categories, COBRA subsidies, multi-employer plan funding, single employer pension funding provisions, leave updates under FFCRA, dependent care assistance, and benefits potpourri. Now today we're playing in the order of the categories so as not to confuse our listeners, I mean studio audience, And also, the answers will be much more detailed than a typical Jeopardy game. Now let's play Jarpity. Our returning champion, Justin, will start. Oh, returning champion. I like the sound of that. Uh, I'm going to start by taking Cobra subsidies for 400. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, how did Justin get to be a returning champion? When? When did he become champion? Um, I believe that our host would like us to keep it moving. Fair enough. Okay. So, well, the first clue for 400, the Consolidated Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act, or COBRA, was originally established for this purpose. Julie, what is health coverage? This act was a big omnibus law with many different types of provisions. 
The part that we in the benefits industry focus on is the provision that gives workers the ability to continue health insurance coverage after separation from employment. Now, speaking very broadly, workers are given the opportunity to purchase continuing health coverage through their former employer. If they elect coverage, they must pay the entire premium themselves. However, that is changing temporarily under ARPA. There's a lot of fine print here, but starting April 1st, 2021, eligible workers and family members do not have to pay COBRA premiums through September 30th of 2021. Uh, I will take COBRA for 200. According to ARPA, these people are considered eligible workers and family members. Anne. Who is the employee or their spouse or dependent children who have coverage under the plan at the time of the qualifying event? And we will get into the qualifying event details in a sec. They need to have an original COBRA period that extends at least into April 2021. They also can't be eligible for other group health plans or Medicare coverage. Now there are some limitations, which we'll get into soon, but until then, COBRA for 1000, please. These are the two specific qualifying events for which subsidies are applicable. Justin? What are uh, reduction in hours or involuntary termination of employment? Uh, so this means that the event doesn't necessarily need to be uh, COVID-19 related. Uh, it's what some are calling the second chance enrollment. Uh, the subsidy starts April 1st and is retroactive to a prior qualifying event uh, if the person is still within the 18-month maximum coverage period uh, and either did not elect COBRA coverage at the time of the event uh, or elected coverage before April 1st of 2021, but discontinued. Uh, let's go to COBRA for 800, please. This is when the COBRA subsidy expires. Julie. When is, it depends. The subsidy will end when the beneficiary becomes eligible for other coverage through a group health plan or Medicare, or on that September 30th, 2021 date, or when the beneficiary's original COBRA duration ends, whichever date ends up coming first. So let's finish the COBRA category, please, for 600. Okay, this is what employers need to know about COBRA subsidies. Justin. What is reporting responsibilities? Um, there are three new notices uh, that we are going to mention here. Uh, the updated general and election notice, the special extended election notice, uh, and also a notice of when that subsidy will actually be expiring. I also want to add that the DOL provided model notices for all three of these on April 7th. So if you're looking for details, that's a good place to find more information. In addition, the foundation hosted a webcast on March 29th, and it takes a deep dive into these notices. So I would suggest that as a resource as well. The main takeaway here is to review those model notices as we are about a month into the subsidy period. Well, and that's great, but we can't award you any money for that answer. Oh, I thought like 100 points, maybe like a little yeah. bonus. No, no, I make the rules. Justin, <laughs> I'll pick. 
Um, let's move over to multi-employer plan funding for 400, please. Multi-employer defined benefit plans with this status receive special financial assistance under ARPA. And what are eligible critical and declining status or insolvent plans under the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation? The Treasury Department will transfer federally funded cash payments to the PBGC, which will then provide a single lump sum payment to an eligible plan in an amount equal to all accrued benefits without reduction through the last day of the plan year ending in 2051. ME plan funding for 200. These are the payback provisions of financial assistance under ARPA. Julie. Uh, that is a trick question. What is none? A plan receiving special financial assistance has no repayment obligations, and there is no cap on the amount transferred from the PBGC. FYI, plan participants and retirees will receive 100% of their earned pension benefits. ME plan funding for 800, please. Aha, it's the first daily double. Julie, you're up to $1,400. What is your wager? I will make it a true daily double, Rose. Okay, then to double your score, these are the requirements that must be met to be eligible for financial assistance. What is have a critical and declining status for a plan year beginning in 2020 through 2022? There are three other eligibility requirements. They had an approved suspension under the Multi-Employer Pension Reform Act of 2014, also known as MEPRA, as of March 11, 2021. They are certified by the plan actuary to be in critical status as of 2020 through 2022, have a funded percentage of less than 40%, and have an active to inactive participant ratio of less than two to three. And lastly, the plan became insolvent after December 16, 2014, and has remained insolvent, but has not terminated as of March 11, 2021. It's important to note that if a plan did suspend benefits under MEPRA, those benefits will need to be reinstated in order for the plan to receive the special financial assistance. Those plans will need to work with the PBGC to find a way to reinstate the benefits. The Congressional Budget Office, CBO, projected that an average of 185 multi-employer plans will receive $86 billion in federally funded payments. Applications must be submitted no later than December 31st of 2025. Well, Julie, that's the longest answer I've ever heard on Jarpity, but you're correct. All right, Julie, pick again. All right, ME plan funding for 600, please. This is the order in which applications may be approved by the PBGC. Anne. What is in order of priority? The legislation notes that the PBGC may prioritize plans that are the most financially troubled. This includes plans that are insolvent or likely to become insolvent within five years, plans that have a present value 
of PBGC assistance under ERISA that exceeds $1 billion if the special assistance isn't provided, or plans that have implemented benefit suspensions under MEPRA. There are also limitations on what the financial assistance payments can be used for. Finish the category for 1,000, please. Approved plans can use financial assistance payments for this. Justin? What are the payment amounts and earnings on those amounts uh, may be used by the multi-employer plan to make benefit payments and, play, and pay plan expenses. Uh, the amounts must be segregated from other plan assets and invested in investment grade bonds or as otherwise permitted by the PBGC. Correct. Well, we've run out of clues in this category, but let's fill our studio audience in on some additional information about multi-employer plan funding. The law places some limitations on the PBGC when it comes to pension plans receiving the special financial assistance. The agency is not permitted to impose conditions related to any prospective reduction in plan benefits or in plan governance. The latter includes the selection of, removal of, and terms of contracts with trustees, actuaries, investment managers, and other service providers. This didn't make it into the official Jarperty question lineup, but I was wondering if there are any additional required conditions on plans receiving special financial assistance. Yeah, and um, ARPA spells out that uh, such plans must continue to pay PBGC premiums, uh, will be formally deemed to be in critical status until 2051, uh, are not eligible to apply for a new suspension of benefits under MEPRA, and will be subject to the current rules and PBGC guarantee for insolvent plans uh, if they subsequently become insolvent after the fact. Now, speaking of premiums, I want to mention that premiums for the PBGC Multi-Employer Insurance Program will increase to $52 per participant after December 31st of 2030. Now, that would be up from the current rate of $31 per participant. And speaking of the PBGC's Multi-Employer Program, it was projected to go insolvent in 2026 or 2027, according to calculations from the PBGC and the CBO. Now, because the special financial assistance will allow plans to stay solvent longer, keeping them from drawing from the PBGC's multi-employer program, CBO estimates that that program will now remain solvent until the mid 2040s. And I will uh, just note here that uh, by July 8th of 2021, uh, the PBGC is required to uh, issue regulations or guidance uh, detailing the requirements for the special financial assistance application. And uh, upon approval of an application uh, to specify effective dates for transfer uh, of the lump sum payments to these specific plans. When this guidance is issued, we will definitely make our membership aware. All right, well, we've got quite a game going here, but we've come to our first commercial break, so we will be back shortly. Can't quite wrap your head around a tough benefits topic? Have a question you'd like to bounce around with an industry expert? 
Want to share and receive best practices from your peers on issues everyone is facing? Members receive access to the Foundation's Got a Benefits question service. You can get your questions answered in three different ways. By asking one of our information specialists, searching for yourself with our online tools, and posting a question in the Foundation community for your peers to answer. Visit ifebp.org slash question for more. Well, welcome back, everyone. Let's get to know these smart contestants we have. Anne Patterson, social marketing and communication strategist in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Anne, you can apparently do what is physically impossible for many. Yes, Rose, I can lick my elbow, which statistically only one in 100 people can do. And it's a good thing we're playing Jeopardy and not regular Jeopardy, because this is something I would not want to have to demonstrate on television. Though I do have photo of evidence of this phenomenon, of course. <laughs> That's great, Anne. We will not ask you to post that to the Foundation website. <laughs> That'd be great, thanks. <laughs> Next up, Julie Stick, Vice President of Content in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Julie, I understand that you got some bad news over the pandemic that your favorite soda was getting discontinued? Yes, that's correct, Rose. I mean, talk about yet another blow during the pandemic. <laughs> I am a very faithful tab drinker. So when the news broke, um, I have to say I'm grateful my friends went out and bought me something like 40 cases to get me by as long as possible. Well, you have some fantastic friends. We'll need to learn more about them someday, too. Hopefully you win and you're the returning champion and you can continue your story. Now, our, we'll move on to our current champion, though, Justin Held, Senior Research Analyst in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Justin, you are also a huge Major League Baseball fan. Is it true that you're attempting to visit all of the stadiums across the country? Yes, that's correct. Uh, I was able to visit uh, 20 of the 30 um, before uh, the responsibilities of fatherhood and a uh, global pandemic uh, slowed down that pace. So uh, once the world uh, returns back to some semblance of normalcy, I hope to uh, get back on the road and check out those last 10. Do you know where your first stop will be? I don't. I haven't even made those arrangements yet. All right. Well, good luck to you. We hope you have safe travels. What a great group of contestants we have. Now let's move on to our next category, single employer pension plan funding. Similar to the multi-employer plan assistance that we covered before the break, provisions in the American Rescue Plan Act have the potential to help many single employer pension plan sponsors weather the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic while providing time to consider how to integrate their business and pension funding strategies. Justin, you have control of the board. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take a single employer pension funding provisions for 200, please. For single employers, this is the biggest impact of the new law. Anne. What is control? Under the prior funding regulations, sponsors of underfunded plans would have been required to make plan contributions potentially at inopportune times, like, for example, when they are still recovering from the business impact of the pandemic. Same category for 400, please. A pension plan's funding obligation is determined by comparing these. Justin? What is the relationship between assets and liabilities? 
so the higher the interest rate a plan can use to value plan liabilities, uh, the lower the value of the liabilities, and therefore uh, the lower the contributions acquired uh, to make up any funding shortfalls. Uh, so lower interest rates means higher liabilities, and that means higher contributions. Uh, I will take pension funding provisions for 600, please. This has been a big disruption in the relationship between assets and liabilities. Julie. What is a global pandemic and the impact it had on the economy over the last year? To provide relief for these plans in this environment, ARPA narrows the existing 25-year average interest rate corridor used to value plan liabilities from 10% to 5% for the 2020 through 2025 plan years. This means that the rate used can't vary from the current average rate by more than 5%. This has the same effect of allowing plans to use a higher interest rate to determine liabilities. Let's go with the same category for 800, please. Can one of our contestants give us an example to address the new narrower corridor? First to buzz in with an example gets it, Justin. What is, um, if the 25 year average interest rate were 6%, for example, um, under the new narrower corridor, uh, the interest rate used to value liabilities couldn't be lower than 5.7% or higher than 6.3%. Uh, previously, that range would have been uh, between 5.4% to 6.6%, uh, which is a much wider range. Uh, when the current rate is below the 25-year historical rate, uh, which is how interest rates sit currently, uh, plans would use the lowest rate in the range. Uh, so in this example that I just uh, made up out of thin air, uh, the, plan would be, uh, the plan would use a 5.7% rate uh, to value its liabilities instead of the 5.4% rate. And uh, contributions would be lower as well. Uh, in addition, ARPA uh, establishes a 5% floor. So uh, if the new historical average rate is less than 5%, uh, the rate will be considered to be 5% for that year. Uh, let's finish the category, please. This is when plan sponsors can elect to have the new rules start. Anne. When is with the 2019, 2020, or 2021 plan year? Correct. And I'd like to give a special thanks to Jonathan Price, Corporate Retirement Practice Leader and Senior Vice President at Siegel. The information from this category was based on a blog featuring Jonathan, which we'll link to in the show notes. Now in the next category, we're going to address some updates to leave programs under the American Rescue Plan Act. ARPA extends the timeframe for employers to receive tax credits for voluntarily providing paid sick leave for COVID-19 and expands on other leave-related provisions under the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, or FFCRA. As a reminder, FFCRA provided organizations with under 500 employees refundable payroll tax credits for the cost of providing paid sick and family leave wages to their employees for leave related to COVID. Employees could receive up to 80 hours of paid sick leave for their own health needs or to care for others. They could also receive up to an additional 10 weeks of paid family leave 
to care for a child whose school or child care provider was closed due to COVID-19 precautions. All right, Anne, you have control of the board. Alphabet soup, I mean, leave updates under FFCRA for 400, please. This is when the FFCRA mandates expired. When is December 31st of 2020? Uh, and this left employers with no obligation to provide uh, paid leave in 2021. Uh, before the expiration of those FFCRA provisions, uh, the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, or CAA, uh, was passed by Congress on December 22nd of 2020. Uh, this act allowed employers to voluntarily allow their workers to use uh, any emergency paid sick leave uh, or emergency family and medical leave uh, that they had left. Um, and in return for doing so, uh, employers would receive a tax credit through March 31st. Uh, let's take the same category for 200, please. ARPA provisions are kicking in now that we're past the point that tax credits would take effect. This is how ARPA has changed some of these leave provisions introduced by the FFCRA. Anne. What is a six-month extension of the tax credit that we mentioned? Under CAA, private employers could receive tax credits for providing employees with leave through March 31st, and those tax credits are now available for employers that voluntarily provide the leave until September 30th. Leave updates under FFCRA for 600, please. Previously, for employers to claim a tax credit, employees had to do this. And what is employees must take leave for a qualifying reason under the FFCRA for either emergency paid sick leave and emergency family and medical leave. And there were different qualifying reasons for each type of leave. But now, as of April 1st, 2021, employees can take either type of leave for any of the six qualifying reasons. These include a quarantine or isolation order, seeking a diagnosis if experiencing symptoms of COVID-19 or conditions similar to COVID-19, those acting as a caregiver of someone who is subject to quarantine or isolation, or acting as a caregiver for a child if their school or daycare is closed. Same category for 1,000. ARPA added these new reasons for an employee to take either type of FFCRA leave as of April 1st, 2021. Julie. What are leave for vaccination reasons, including an employee seeking a vaccine appointment or for recovery from adverse reactions to the COVID-19 vaccine? Leave can also be used when an employee is seeking or awaiting the results of a diagnostic test or medical diagnosis for COVID-19, or their employer has requested the test or diagnosis. Let's finish the category, please. ARPA made this change to the maximum pay increases for emergency and family medical leave. Justin. What is uh, previously under FFCRA, uh, the first two weeks of this leave were unpaid, uh, with the remaining up to 10 weeks paid at two-thirds of the employee's regular rate, um, up to $200 per day and a total maximum of $10,000. 
um, under ARPA, uh, the entire 12 weeks of leave is now paid. And as a result, the amount of paid leave um, wages an employer can claim a tax credit for uh, increased from $10,000 to $12,000. Now, just a few quick reminders with these leave provisions. First off, providing FFCRA leave benefits is optional for employers. If they decide to offer this leave, they may choose to provide coverage under emergency paid sick leave, the emergency uh, family medical leave, or both. In addition, there is not a specific date that employers are required to begin providing benefits if they choose to do so. So it can be anytime after April 1st and before September 30th is acceptable. That's right. So if you as an employer have been offering this leave and you decide to extend it through September 30th, don't forget to update your paid leave policies and also consult your attorney if you have questions about FFCRA leave or how paid leave tax credits work. And that's probably a good tip across the board in dealing with any offerings in this rapidly changing landscape. That's right, Anne. Okay, next category, Justin, you choose. I will take a uh, dependent care assistant for 200, please. ARPA includes this optional increase in the maximum pre-tax contribution limit for dependent care assistance programs. Julie. What is increase from $5,000 to $10,500 for dependent care assistance programs? Uh, let's go to dependent care assistance for 400, please. This is the increase for individuals who are married but filing separately. Anne? What is the amount increases from $2,500 to $5,350? Let's stay in the same category for 600. Plan sponsors implementing the increase will need to amend their plans by this date. Anne? When is the end of the 2021 plan year and notify participants of the increased limit as soon as possible? For calendar year plans, this amendment will be retroactive back to January 1st of this year. Same category for 800. If a plan sponsor does not choose to amend their plan, employees may be eligible for this. Julie. What is... Employees may be eligible for dependent care tax credits that they would claim as an individual taxpayer when filing their tax return for the year. So let's finish the category for 1000 please. If plan sponsors have already completed their annual 2021 enrollments, the Consolidated Appropriations Act provisions allow employers to do this. Justin. What is uh, to let employees make mid-year changes to their DCAP contributions uh, for plan years ending in 2020 or 2021, uh, even without an event such as the birth of a child or a significant change in childcare needs? Um, and I will just note quickly that this is optional for employers. Uh, they do not have to allow this. That's right, Justin. Okay, we hope you are still with us as we move into our final category, benefits potpourri. 
Now this will be a bit of a lightning round because it's Jarpity and we make our own rules. So let's name the six additional American Rescue Plan Act provisions that may be of interest to our audience. They can impact workers or individuals not in a workplace context. Each correct answer will get you $200. Go. $1,400 stimulus payments. Yes. Uh, increased child tax credits for 2021, uh, $3,000 for each child aged uh, 6 to 17, and $3,600 for each child under the age of 6. You got it, Justin. $300 in weekly unemployment benefits through September 6, 2021. The first $10,200 of unemployment payments from 2020 will be tax-free for those earning less than $150,000. That's right, Anne. Any others? Tax-free treatment of student loan debt forgiveness between December 31st, 2020 and January 1st of 2026. Uh, for, forgiven debt is typically treated as taxable income. Nice, Julie. Two more. Uh, let's go Medicaid expansion. Yep. Last one. Uh, increased ACA premium tax credits, also known as subsidies, for low and middle income families for 2021 and 2022. There's six. Good work, everyone. And when we come back, it's time for double jeopardy. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the contestants are going to stop here after the first round, but please check out the show notes for a listing of resources we mentioned during this game or episode. Um, so host, uh, can you tell us who won, uh, most importantly, and, uh, am I the returning champion? I think we all won by sharing our knowledge of the six ARPA provisions and how they impact employers across the board. In uh, across the Jarpity board? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Aside from Jonathan Price, we would like to thank our colleagues, Kathy Bergstrom, Jenny Lucy, Ann Newhouse, and Amanda Wilkie, who wrote the resources that we referenced here in this episode. And as you can probably tell, we are real fans of Jeopardy, the real Jeopardy. So we'd like to dedicate this episode and send our respects to Alex Trebek, a true man of distinction. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us today. So long, everybody. Till next time. If you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. And subscribe to the show in your podcast app so that our episodes will automatically appear on your mobile device. Talking Benefits is a production of the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans, the largest educational association for those working in the benefits industry. If you're into benefits, check out all that the International Foundation has to offer at ifebp.org. Our show is hosted by Julie Stick, Ann Patterson, and me, Justin Held. Produced by Rose Pleva and Stacey Van Alstein, and edited by Amanda Gilsmer. Today's program is copyrighted in 2021 by the International Foundation of Employee Benefit Plans. All rights reserved. The opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and not to be used as legal counsel.